Welcome to Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect and discuss prominent crashes in aviation history. I'm your host, Rosanna Kakai, and in this episode, we are going to be discussing Ali Dalia Flight 404. This flight is incredibly chaotic, way more chaotic than the previous flights, which is a Canada Flight 797. Either way, before we continue, do not forget to like us and follow us on the podcast platform that you're listening to us on, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anything, you name it, honestly. It will really mean a lot to me. But without wasting any more of your time, let us officially get into it. It is the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, good morning. We have a uh, smoke uh, uh, problem. And we're doing emergency descent to level 15140. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. Alitalia Flight 404 was a scheduled flight for the 14th of November 1990. Its origin was Lenate Airport, Milan, Italy, and its destination was Zurich Airport, Zurich, Switzerland. The aircraft used was the DC-9, and the call sign was Alitalia 404. The crew and passengers. The captain was Raphael Liberti, who was 47 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by Alitalia on the 15th of May 1970. He was certificated to fly on the DC-9 on the 15th of March 1988. He had 10,193 total flight hours with 3,194 flight hours on the DC-9. Here I'm quoting from the final report. The last licensed medical check on 26 June 1990 found him to be fit without restrictions, end quote. The first officer of this flight was Massimo de Freya, who was 28 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by Alitalia on the 15th of July 1989. He was certificated to fly on the DC-9 on the 15th of July 1989 after strenuous amounts of training by Alitalia. In total, he had obtained 831 total flight hours with 621 flight hours on the DC-9. And I quote, the last licensed medical check on 1st June 1990 found him fit without restrictions, end quote. In total, there were 40 passengers and 4 flight attendants. The flight. So here I am quoting from the final report. It's basically discussing what happened before Alitalia Flight 404 took place. The cockpit crew of Alitalia Flight AZ-404 had a layover of 20 minutes past 3 p.m. hours in a hotel. They had already flown a rotation together on the day prior to the accident. On the 14th of November 1990, the crew checked in for flight duty at Milan Linate at 1 p.m. 
They were rusted for a return flight Milan-Lenate to Frankfurt, followed by Lenate to Zerich and back, end quote. So this is kind of suspicious as I feel like the crew was working way too hard, but hopefully does not hinder their flying capabilities during this flight. So at 24 minutes to 7 p.m., Alitalia Flight 404 takes off from runway 36 right at Lenate Airport. They were cleared to climb to 20,000 feet or 6,096 meters. The pilot flying at this point was first officer de Freyer, and you will hear that he was flying throughout the whole flight. They reached the altitude of 20,000 feet or 6,096 meters and as they were doing so, they listened to the Zerich meteorological information for aircraft in flight of Volmet. They were reaching Zerich airport at this point, seeing that Zerich airport was incredibly close to Lenate. Here I'm quoting from the final report. From this, they gathered that the surface wind at Zerich was 240 degrees at 8 knots, 15 kilometers per hour or 9 miles per hour. This led the pilot in command, aka Captain Liberty, for a landing on runway 28. Having heard from the Automatic Terminal Information Service or ATIS that the landing runway was 14, the crew still discussed a right-hand circling approach for a landing on runway 28. The discussion continued considering a left-hand circling to runway 28, end quote. So, I have to say, we heard that First Officer de Freyer was the one who was actually flying the plane. However, it is incredibly unusual for a captain to kind of be questioning the co-pilot like this so much. And it's kind of weird that Captain Liberty wanted to land on runway 28 specifically after they told him that, yo, we have to land on runway 14. So it's weird. It's just my observation. At 8 minutes to 7 p.m. 53 seconds, the crew started to discuss approaching for runway 14 and they were settling navigation aids and what to do in an event of a communications failure. They were instructed to land using ILS 14 and whilst they were trying to land, the crew switched to radio 1 before intercepting ILS 14. Here I'm quoting from the final report once again. At 14 nautical miles, 26 kilometers or 16 miles from the threshold of runway 14, the aircraft captured the localizer 14 and at about 11,5 nautical miles, 21 kilometers or 13 miles, descended through the cleared altitude of 4,000 feet or 1,219 meters. The aircraft descended with a constant rate of descent during the whole final approach about 1,400 feet or 427 meters below the correct glide path, end quote. Red flag. So at this point, they realized that they were too low. So first officer de Freyer decided to attempt a go-around. However, Captain Liberty decided to abort the go-around. Why? We will learn later on. At 11 minutes past 7 p.m., 5,2 nautical miles, 10 kilometers or 6 miles from runway 14, the aircraft first struck the trees and then the surface of the wooden north face of the Stadlerberg. After the collision, a fire started. The 40 passengers and 6 crew members, including Captain Liberty and First Officer de Freyer, were fatally injured. The aircraft was destroyed. 
there was also considerable damage to the forest end quote unfortunately every single person on board perished in the crash the investigation so i'm quoting from the final report it was reported to the aircraft accident investigation bureau or aaib of india at 10 minutes to 9 pm Subsequently, this led to the first meeting in Bern, where in accordance with the ordinance of the Federal Council of Aircraft Accident Investigation, the designated investigation team was alerted, end quote. So the Federal Office of Civil Aviation decided to investigate this crash because this crash did happen on Swiss soil. The crash site, quoting from the final report yet again, this is a mouthful. Here we go. The accident site was situated in the northern slope of the Stadlerberg, a wooded hill, elevation 637 mean sea level or 2,090 feet, 200 meters or 656 feet above the immediate surroundings. The right engine, which was severely damaged, lay at an edge of the main wreckage area separated from the aircraft tail unit. The left engine was still attached to the tail unit and was largely intact. By using the impact or damage trail, the final flight phase could be determined. The aircraft contacted the first trees at an essentially level flight path and with no roll angle, mainly with the right wing and forward fuselage. This is evident from parts found near the first trees to be damaged. Wing leading edge slat, parts of the green position light cover on the outer right wing and the rear nose gear. At this point, essential parts of the control system's electronics were probably damaged. As a result of the destruction, particularly in the right wing area, the aircraft receiving an asymmetric lift force which led to the next impact point with the trees having a considerable right wing low altitude. The aircraft turned itself further about its longitudinal axis to the right until it struck the ground where the right engine was torn off before the final tail unit finally separated and the fuselage together with the occupants impacted the steep hillside. The ground proximity warning system or GPWS was not functioning. End quote. The ground proximity warning system was not functioning so that is incredibly suspicious but we'll talk about that later on. The pathological information I'm going to be quoting from the final report yet again. The mortal remains of the pilots were given a post-mortem where possible by the Zurich Pathological Institute or GMI. The cause of death in both cases was injuries received during the accident and the effects of fire. There was no evidence of any relevant pre-existing health problems. Samples were taken from the bodies of both pilots and were subjected to chemical and toxicological tests. In summary, the chemical service of GMI Zurich records that, in the case of the captain, there is no evidence of significant toxic substances. There were no signs of medicaments or drugs in the co-pilot. However, various levels of ethyl alcohol concentration between 0.02% and 0.38% were found in the body, tissue, and blood. It can be proven whether this alcohol presence was caused by alcohol consumption whilst alive or the effects of bacteriological production after death. End quote. Captain Liberty and First Officer Defryer were not intoxicated during flying. The research, and I quote, 
From the CVR recordings, it was evident that as the aircraft intercepted the localizer, the crew at first had difficulties in receiving the glide path signal and selected mode radio 1 for the final approach whereby at about 12 to 13 nautical miles, 22 to 24 kilometers or 14 to 15 miles distance from the runway, they received a glide path signal. The pilot in command, aka Captain Liberty, reported, and I quote, Capture LOC. Capture glide path capture. So we are on the beam a little off track, but, end quote. Accordingly, the crew were of the opinion that the aircraft was on the ILS, a little offset to the east. This small initial offset caused by a slight overshoot of the LOC is confirmed by the radar recording. The aircraft was in fact on the localizer, however it was about 1,300 feet or 396 meters beneath the glide path. This is also evident from the radar recording. A reconstruction was made on the 9th of March 1991 using an aircraft of the same type, same equipment, belonging to Alitalia, similarly to Alitalia Flight 404 where the flight path was followed exactly down to an altitude of 4,000 feet or 1,219 meters QNH. As a result, it was determined that until glide path interception, the glide path needles on all four instruments was in the fully up position. That is out of sight. End quote. The comparator. So Alitalia Flight 404 was equipped with a navigational instrument comparator. So a navigational instrument comparator according to flightsim.com, it is a comparator that provides a visual reference for the pilot in case a predetermined difference in signals of two units is exceeded or when the power source of the respective unit fails. End quote. So, quoting from the final report yet again, the comparator of Alitalia Flight 404 was recovered from the accident in a considerably damaged state. A close examination of this unit was unfortunately impossible. End quote. So essentially, they could not run any tests on the comparator. Unfortunately, Alitalia DC-9 aircraft are equipped with GPWS, which is the Ground Proximity Warning System. The GPWS belonging to Alitalia 404 was not recovered from the accident site and thus could not be examined. The sound of a GPWS warning was never audible on the CVR. This played a significant role in the accident sequence, end quote meaning that it possibly was not working. Red flag number two. The GPWS system has different modes which played a part in the crash. Mode one, which is excessive sink rate. Mode two B, which is excessive terrain closure rate. And mode five, which is excessively below glide scope. I'm quoting. Mode one. As the sink rate was within the specified limits at all times, this warning can be ruled out, meaning that it probably was functioning. Mode 2B. Whilst overflying, the Kusaberg Mode 2A was still active. At this point, a closure rate of about 4,000 feet per minute or 1,219 meters per minute would have been necessary for a warning to be triggered. Having crossed the rain, the flaps were extended to more than 15, so the GPWS system changed to mode 2B. The fact that the terrain warning did not occur could be traced back to a combination of flight profile and terrain profile. 
And finally, mode 5. As long as the landing gear was extended whilst overflying the Kusaberg, the GPWS system should, at that point, have given a below glide path warning. In that region of which, all conditions required for a warning were definitely fulfilled. Possible reasons for the failure to occur. Number 1. GPWS respectively GPWS computer defect or number 2. False glidescope indication. The GPWS was thus unable to give a warning, end quote. However, ILS-14 was working at the time of the landing. Either way, the GPWS system was not working allegedly at that point due to it not being received, the sound not being received by the CVR. So that is a red flag in front of the investigators at this point. So possible pilot error? Quoting from the final report, in general, it appears that during the flight, the pilots in charge, aka Captain Liberty's behavior, was professional during routine operations. The impression does not apply when abnormal conditions appeared. In switching the radio selector to radio 1, the crew did not proceed to an analysis of the cause of the supposed false indication or even make a subsequent crash check. It appears to have acted on predetermined opinion, expected indication regarding the glide path. The co-pilot continued the descent below the outer marker altitude, although this had not been passed. End quote. So, possibly there was pilot error due to inadequate analysis of the false indication, but we shall see. The findings. So here I go, quoting from the final report, and they are quite several. Here we go. Number one, the navigational receiver number one, which was in use during the approach, was apparently not delivering an output signal. Number two, the possibility of such a failure on the navigational equipment in use has been known since 1984. Can we just pause? This flight took place in 1990 and Alitalia knew that there was a problem since 1984. Moving on, number three, Alitalia was informed by the aircraft manufacturer about the possibility of these failure possibilities in the years 1984 and 1985. They were unknown to the crew of AZ404, which is Alitalia Flight 404. Number four, the pilots were in good health. The minimal level of alcohol found in the co-pilot's body can most probably be attributed to post-mortal microbiological processes at the accident site. Number five, before intercepting the ILS-14, the crew switched to radio one. Number six, the approach controller did not give the crew of AZ-404 any position or distance information relative to runway 14. Number seven, the approach controller never noticed the altitude undershoot of the aircraft. Number eight, the Stadlerberg is not equipped with obstacle lighting. And number nine, the pilot's cockpit did not comply throughout with Alitalia's operational procedures. End quote. So before we make this official, let me just give you a little bit of my thoughts as to what I think the cause of the crash was. It definitely has to be the fact that the ground proximity warning system was not operational, which could have allowed the crew of Alitalia Flight 404 a chance to try and regain lift and just attempt a go around. But because that was not working and the fact that the company Alitalia knew that there was a problem with 
their systems on airplanes and yet they still chose to do nothing it's kind of upsetting but also number two about the simple fact that the co-pilot first officer de Freya, actually wanted to attempt a go around or would rather wanted to do a go around and captain liberty essentially was like no we have to land right now like oh my gosh you have to land so i think it definitely has to be major 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 mechanical error but also a side hint of pilot error so let's make this official the Federal Office of Civil Aviation determined that the cause of the crash were the following. And yes, there are causes, it's not just one. There are eight causes. Here we go. Number one, the false indication of very high frequency navigational unit number one in the aircraft. Number two, probable altimeter misreading by the pilot in control, which is Captain Liberty. Number three, no ground proximity warning system warning in the cockpit. Number four, Pilots not aware of the possibility of incorrect indicators in the navigational equipment in use without flag alarm. Number five, inadequate failure analysis by the pilot. Number six, non-compliance by the pilots with basic procedural instructions during the approach. Number seven, unsuitable cooperation between the pilots during the approach. And number eight, the co-pilots initiated go-around procedure aborted by the pilot in control. End quote. So essentially what I was saying, but they just added more things. The recommendations, so the recommendations set out by the Federal Office of Civil Aviation reads as follows. Number one, navigational equipment which does not have monitoring of the output signal should no more be used. Number two, the flight procedures of an air transport company should ensure that a go-around once stated cannot be stopped. Number three, the approach charts in the route manual should show the horizontal terrain profile below the glide path. Number four, the duties of the approach traffic control should be expanded to include the task of warning in the event of an altitude undershoot of the minimum safe altitudes. Number five, the national and international operating instructions for air traffic controllers should be adapted to modern technology much faster. Number six, obstacle lighting should be installed on the Stadlerberg. And number seven, ILS runways should be fitted with optical approach aids. End quote. And that is the end of today's episode. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you like the fact that it's long. Please let me know maybe on Instagram at ACI underscore THE underscore podcast if you like these long episodes i'm liking these long episodes i hope you like them too but thank you so much for listening once again i'll catch you next week saturday at half past four central african time or south african standard time depending on what you feel is comfortable i've been your host Jonathan kai and i'll catch you in the next one cheers mm-hmm.